here live in person. Also, those joining us on uh, online, it's great that we're able to worship uh, together this morning. Also, last night uh, to celebrate the church's 36th anniversary. Great job to the whole team for putting that together, hearing the testimonies and stories uh, of everyone. And I love this, that we can gather here on site, but also online, that we really, as Lord's love, uh, we're scattered across the city and gathering in different places this morning. Uh, even though we're not here physically all together, that we're still the church. Uh, and we can still uh, proclaim God and his faithfulness uh, together. Uh, we are continuing on our series uh, called The Letter to the Romans, The Power of the Gospel. And it's been quite a journey for us so far as we go through this letter uh, that Paul wrote uh, to the church in Rome. And eerily, God, uh, Paul is speaking, uh, God is speaking through Paul, through his letter here that was written so long ago, but it's so relevant uh, for us uh, here today as well. As I think back to my childhood, there were many uh, memories uh, that changed my life, uh, and this was definitely one of them, and it was going to Chuck E. Cheese. Uh, Chuck E. Cheese, anyone ever been there? You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, <laughs> Anthony, thanks for your hand. <laughs> uh, going to Chuck E. Cheese, remember, as I look back now to this picture here, the, they're really creepy looking, actually. I remember them looking a lot more fun uh, as a kid, but that mouse, I mean, Anyway, uh, Chuck, you know, going to Chuck E. Cheese was really, really fun, and I really never got a chance to go to an arcade growing up, but there was this one time uh, my, our mom uh, brought uh, my brother and I to Chuck E. Cheese for a birthday. I can't remember it was my birthday or Duncan's birthday. I don't really remember, but I remember going, having lots of fun, meeting these uh, fun-loving uh, characters. Uh, if you don't know, it's a, it's a place that you gather and there's arcade games around, and you win tickets, and you win prizes, and they have pizza, and then these animal, you know, these mascots perform and sing a song for you and all that kind of stuff. I think they still have one out in Surrey or Langley. Uh, it's not like the, the good old days, though. Uh, it's only a, a remnant of what it <laughs> once was. But you go in and you get to play these games. And I remember playing this game called Dino Score. Not Dinosaur. Uh, Dino Score on the left-hand side there. What you do is you put a little coin into that little gun and you shoot it and you try to I get into a certain goal or pocket, and if you get in, into a certain target, uh, you win the tickets that it was allotted. I remember Duncan, my brother, he was playing this game. I was just there watching him. I was trying, trying, trying. I kept getting the ones and fives, you know, the low scores. Uh, but then came the big one where Duncan flicked it, and it hit the biggest score there was possible. I remember this. It was 1,000 tickets. Uh, and the machine was like, ding, 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 ding. You know, and all the lights were flying and the tickers were coming. I was jumping up and down, like cheering, like, yeah, we're rich. You know, that was what I was saying and screaming. And we grabbed a bunch of tickets. Uh, we couldn't hold it because we were in elementary school. We grabbed what we could and we were so happy and excited and traded it for gifts, which I'm pretty sure, I can't remember what it was. It was like an inflatable balloon or something. I don't know what it was. You know, so some, some hammer and a whole bunch of toys and parachute men and stuff like that. Um, but in, in our eyes, and we won the jackpot there, 1,000 tickets was a lot. We're jumping up and down, uh, hugging each other. And the thing is, my point is this, uh, as we won the tickets and we held the tickets in, in our hands, we knew that the prize was going to be big, right? Uh, it's 1,000 tickets, and we had ones we already won. We had the tickets in hand, and we knew that no matter what, as we walked over to the counter where the prizes are, that there's going to be something good awaiting us, uh, that the promise was good that what these tickets uh, uh, meant for us as we walked to uh, th that booth that the tickets were holding. It was a promise as we walked there that something good was going to be there for us. And as Christians, as people that, that worship God and follow Jesus and have the Holy Spirit inside of us, don't you know, do you know that we also have something good waiting for us? 
that we have a, a promise that's been given. And, and what, what if we walked our lives in this way? Just like how my brother and I were so excited with the tickets, running over to claim our prize. What if we walked our lives in this way, holding the promises of God? What, what if we lived out our faith in this way? What if we're able to live every day in light of the promise that God has given us? How would that change our outlook? How would that change how we go through the low times of life? How would that change us in the ways that we see the high points of life? How would that change us? And we see today in this, in the, in this passage about Abraham, uh, we see this big idea that we're called to live as one who already possesses the promise. That every single day as we live out our lives, we already have this promise. It's as if we already have those tickets in hand and we're living through this life waiting to go to that counter at the end of our lives when we go into glory and when we see Jesus, that our call is to live as one who already possesses the promise. Live as one then who already possesses this promise because it would change you. It, it would change the way that we live. It would change the way that you see tragedy. It would change the way that you see the good times and the, and the, and the low times. And as, today as we continue on in this series, uh, the uh, talking about the gospel, talking about the letter to the Romans, and as we learn about how the gospel changes everything, uh, we see here what it means, what it, uh, what it means to live by faith, how, how Abraham was the example of that for us. Uh, chapter 4 is all about how great a man Abraham was, not in what he has done, but in the faith that he possess, possesses. He was saved by faith, even though he was before Jesus, even though he was before the new, new covenant and the New Testament, he was also saved by, uh, by faith. And a Jew, the Jewish Christians at this time would have been asking the questions like, okay, Paul, you're talking so much about justification by faith. It's not by the law. It's not by works. So how does our history fit into this? How does our history uh, fit into this when we didn't have Jesus uh, back in the day? And, and Paul chooses to use Abraham here because he's seen as a forefather. He's the father of many nations. Uh, he's seen to have obeyed the law perfectly. But even though he obeyed the law perfectly, it wasn't the law that saved him. He was also saved by grace uh, through faith. And we read this in Romans 4, 1 to 3. What then shall we say that Abraham, or forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. If you're at home or you're here, you want to circle that word there, credited to him as righteousness. Highlight that because it appears some at least 10 times in this chapter. Uh, credited to him as righteousness. It's the same word for credit here. It's the same word that we saw back in Romans 2, 3, where uh, it, it's the understanding that uh, it's determined by mathematical process. It's calculated. Remember for us that we live in sin, therefore it's calculated for us that what's waiting for us at the end of the road is wrath. But here we see that Abraham believed God and what was credited, what was calculated, what was put into his uh, account uh, was righteousness. That it was belief that came and then there was this righteousness. That logically speaking, belief uh, uh, belief comes first, and then righteousness comes uh, a second. So Abraham here, he believed in God first, and then there was the accreditation. There was the accreditation where it was given to, to, uh, to, uh, to, to Abraham. And, and this is important for us because believe means to consider something to be true. 
Abraham believed what God said to be true. He was saying amen to God. That's what that word means. He was saying amen to God before he even saw the promises of God. He was living as a man already possessing the promise. You see what I'm trying to say here? That he's already holding on to it. He's already saying amen to it. So we see here that the first point uh, is that justification for Abraham too, and it is for us, is by faith, not by works. That is by a belief first. It's by you believing in God, putting faith uh, in, in God. In fact, believing results in receiving. It's this believing that it results in this receiving of righteousness. It's not you have to work for it, you have to earn it. It's just simply believing. It leads to this receiving of righteousness, receiving of who God is. And, and Paul quotes uh, the Genesis 15 passage here of uh, the, the account of, of Abraham. And in Genesis 15, God is setting the covenant between him and Abraham. And we read this uh, in Genesis 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram, before he was Abraham, in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Verse 4, Then the Lord, a word of the Lord came to him. This man would not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if, in, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to, to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he was what? He credited it to him as righteousness. Abram believed, and then he received. He believed first, it was a justification by faith that he believed in God and what he promised him before he received the promise. See, guys, faith is complete trust in God. That's what it is. It's a complete trust in God with reference to what God has said, to the promises that he has given. Faith is complete trust in God before, before the promise is even in your hands. That's what faith is. It's a belief and a complete trust in who God says he is and what he will do before you even see it or before you even receive it. Because it's easy to say amen when things are good, but it's another thing when things aren't going the way that you thought it would be. It's one thing to say amen when things are going well. It's another thing when life isn't going well and you're going through tragedy and hardship and you're going through a tough time and you're questioning yourself and your purpose and, you, and your whole existence. It's another thing to say amen to God at that point. I've been there. See, what was the promise here that, that God has given Abraham? That God will be his shield and his great reward? And Abraham was like, okay, I, I see that. But then he says to him, that look up in the sky. This is going to be the same for you, that your descendants is going to be the same as the stars in the sky. And, 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 and as God was saying this to Abraham, he must have thought, okay, this sounds really good, God, but wait a minute here. This was before he even had one single child. This was before anything actually happened to him. That God was promising something good to him, and he already believed before he even received that promise. And he lived as one that believed. Therefore, he did receive this righteousness. It's kind of this strange, strange kind of thinking. You think that it's after you receive something, that's when you believe. But no, he believed, and then he received. And that's the order that God has has set. Because at this point here where the covenant was made, where the promise was made, Abraham and Sarah didn't have any kids. But Abraham believed the Lord. He believed in, in God. And he believed 
uh, that uh, God was going to fulfill what he can uh, fulfill. And when you live by faith, just like Abraham did, did Abraham, he didn't let what he couldn't see determine what he could do. He didn't say, well, God, you promised me this. I don't see it happening right now. So you know what? I'm just going to live back before you made this promise to me. No, he lived in according to that promise as if it already happened right now. And I think it's the same for us today. If we're living by faith and not by works, don't let what you can't see determine what you can do. That is not only what you see in front of you. It's not only the realities in front of you. Don't let that dictate what God is saying. Don't let that determine what you can or can't do. It's the voice of God. It's our faith in God. It's not in the faith in yourself, in the faith in the works, faith in people around you even. It's faith and a belief in this God that we follow. And I, I'm afraid that too many of us, uh, me included, that if we're living according to our own sight, that it limits us. It limits the ability and the potential that God has set before us. That when, when we walk by it with our eyes only, we walk in fear and we don't see the goodness of God and what is awaiting for us in the future for those of us that continue on in this path. Romans 4, 4 to 5 continues saying this, Now to the one who works, wages are not accredited as gift but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. So there's this continuation of theme that is justification by works. Uh, justification by, sorry, take that back. <laughs> justification by faith, not by works. Uh, we see here that if someone works, then the wages they earn isn't really a gift, right? That makes sense. When you work, you're like, well, the wages are promised to you. It's due to you. It's owe, you that the wages are owed to you because I worked 40 hours this week. This is what I'm going to get paid uh, this week. Uh, in other words, someone's salary isn't really a gift. It's someone that's an obligation. That's our understanding. It's, 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 it's owned. It's, it's owed to that person. Here, though, Paul argues that to the one who does not work uh, but trusts God instead, uh, they're Faith, because of their faith, they're credited as, as righteousness. So Paul lays the argument that the righteousness given to Abraham wasn't earned because God's righteousness can't be earned anyways. It needs to be given, and it was given to Abraham freely by grace. And after this, he quotes King David in verses 6 to 8, saying, it's all by grace anyways that our sins have been covered, that has been taken away from us. Our transgressions are forgiven. Our sins are covered. The Lord will, won't count the sins against us. It's not because of anything we've done, but it's because of this God and the promise that he has made. So what Paul is saying is that Abraham was given something that didn't belong to him, right? If you worked for something, the wages that you earn, that's, that's something that you earn. That's something that belongs to you. But here, Abraham was given something that didn't belong to him. Therefore, that's why it's by grace. That's why it's by, by faith. So in fact, even the relationship that Abraham had with God can't be attributed to him. This conversation he has with God here in Genesis 15 and, and what Paul is quoting, it can't even be accredited to what Abraham has, has done. It's because of what God has done, that God has reached out first, that God has made himself known first. Like It wasn't because Abraham tried harder, he waved his arms higher, he prayed louder, he yelled louder, like God, that God heard him, uh, God made himself present to Abraham. And God does the same thing to us today, that God made himself present to you and to me. And we read this back in Romans 1.20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, what? Have been clearly seen. 
that God has made himself known to us. So why? So that we can believe, so that we can have faith. It's not a total blind faith. God gives us hints and reveals himself to us in the same way that he has first revealed himself to Abraham. Verse 9 to 10, is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have, seen, uh, we have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. So the promise that was, offer, uh, was offered to Abraham before the act. That's what Paul is saying. That the promise was given before the act. The covenant of circumcision uh, was actually seen in Genesis 17, two chapters later. So you're not justified by your works because the work, the promise was given before the work. The Genesis 15 was the covenant, was the promise that was given. Then it was only two chapters later that the covenant of circumcision, the act was given. I'll get into that a little bit later. But we see here that Abraham, he was justified by grace, not by the law, because the law came afterwards. That he was first saved by grace. That God made himself known to Abraham by, through this covenant before the actual law. Before anything was written, before anything was said, before any act was done. That, that, that uh, God made himself known. He gave himself and he, he revealed himself in, in that relationship with, with Abraham. So grace, we see here. See, grace isn't the end point of what we receive as Christians. We often think we live with grace, and we live in this way that we're saved by grace, and we are, and that kind of determines that what we live and how we act now. But grace isn't the end point of it, but grace is actually the starting point. Grace is the point where everything begins in our Christian life, and we live out of that. We live out of, and as a response of, uh, from, a response to this grace that we receive, because what Paul is arguing for here is this, that there's a difference between working for grace and working from grace. Working out of grace. Working out of the grace that you first received. He continues on in verse, uh, he conti continues on in verse 11 here that he received circumcision as a sign, as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. So he already had this faith, he already had this belief in God, had this covenant uh, with God, and this circumcision, this act, was a sign and a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. It was kind of like the 1,000 tickets I received. It was after that I won that I, I had these tickets as a proof, right? As a proof that I won the 1,000 tickets. Imagine I go up to the counter and be like, I won 1,000 tickets. Well, where's the ticket? You know, what's, where's the proof? You know, where's the act? Where's the sign? Where's the seal of what it is that you have received? Another example, uh, for those of you that get deliveries to your house or to your apartment, to your townhouse, well, if you miss a delivery, what happens? There's a note, right, that's put in through your mail slot. There's a note that's stick, stuck onto your door. And that, that note, uh, whether it's from Canada Post, FedEx, UPS, or whichever, is a sign that you missed a delivery, but it's also a notice and a sign that there's a package awaiting for you. That if you hold on to this, that there, well, hopefully, uh, if you go to the, the package, you go to the depot, that that package is going to be there for you. So in the same way here, Abraham, he didn't live a, a life that was perfect, but he did live differently after he received this promise. It's as if he was holding on to this notice, he's holding on to this promise, like there's something awaiting for me already, and I'm going to live as if I'm already living in that truth. I'm, I'm going to live in a way that reflects 
the truth of what I've just received. Right? You receive that notice. You receive that box. It's waiting at the depot. You can breathe a little bit easier. You're like, okay, the package is safe. Right? The package is here. I might not have it here at my house, but I got to go and get it. Uh, it's going to be there waiting for me. It's going to be uh, safe and sound, and you can breathe a little bit easier. You can live a little bit with a more peace of mind. So here, this, the act of circumcision is a, is a sign, is a seal, the righteousness that he had received. It's out of this grace that he lived out of that. It's a sign uh, of what has already happened, of what he's already received on the inside. Which, by the way, is why we get baptized. Uh, we, we, we baptize not because it saves us, uh, but because it's an outward sign of what we receive inwardly, right? We say that often. Baptism doesn't save you, but it changes uh, people. It's when our relationship with God changes that we reflect that outwards uh, as well. It's the same as uh, when you become a church member. It's like there's no obligation to it. it it's a sign that, that your relationship with God has changed in a sense that God has called you to be here. God has called you to serve here, that this is your home and your community and your church body. So outwardly, uh, it's a sign and a seal of what I've received already inwardly from a, a word from God. It's the same as why we, we serve, is why we do anything in life. Uh, we live out of this grace, not for this grace. We live out of this grace that we already received. And he is then also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So we understand that we're justified uh, by, by grace and not by the law. So how are we to understand this? That how are we to understand, like, what does it mean to follow in the footsteps of, of, of faith? You see, Abraham, he was one, again, that walked as if he already possessed the promise. Before he had his son, before he saw the nations uh, before him, which he never ends up seeing, actually, uh, before any of that, he walked as one who already possesses the promise, and it changed them from that moment forward. And it wasn't just wishful thinking from Abraham. It wasn't just something that's not true. It's not creating a false reality. It's, it's not like not, not, not facing the reality in front of you. Abraham knew he didn't have the son at the moment. It wasn't like he's walking around pretending, oh, there's a son in front of me. I'm just going to pretend, right? Like nothing is wrong. Like, no, he understood it, but he still hold, held on to promise. So we see he's walking in the footsteps there. That's what, uh, that's how, our, how we are as well to walk in this, this footstep. But, but there's also more here because in, there's something to be learned in the way that Abraham walked and the way that he lived out his faith. Even though Abraham couldn't see the whole way, even though he didn't have a son, even though he didn't have the promise at hand, yet he still took the step forward. He walked as if one that already possessed the promise. Even though you can't see the whole way, we can still take whole steps forward. Now today, some of us, we don't see the end. We don't see what's awaiting for us. But we, what we possess is the promise of God. What we do possess is the faith of God, the belief in this God that we follow. That you might not see the whole way, but we can still take whole steps, wholehearted steps forward. Although you might not see the evidence, Although you might not have faith in yourself, although we don't have faith in the circumstances, we do have faith in God. We do have faith, and we believe even more in God, not in the circumstances, not in our emotions, not in what we feel, not in what we, what we see physically with our eyes, but we have this faith and this belief in God. 
for you this morning, what, what, what can't you see? What, what are you having trouble seeing? What's beyond the horizon for you? And how, what does it look like for you to take these wholehearted steps? Are you maybe exhausted and you're tired and you're going through sickness maybe? Maybe there's a terrible situation in your family or at work, in your marriage, in your relationships, in your calling, in your purpose in life. But that, that, that it's clear this morning for us that it's not believing in the circumstance again. It's not believing in what's happening around you. It's believing in the promise. Now, it's not even believing so much in the promise, but believing more in the promise giver and believing more in the promise keeper than the promise itself. Do you see what I'm trying to say here? That's not holding on to whatever we physically can see, but it's believing in this God, the one who gives perfectly, the one that gives good gifts, the one who keeps his promise. Because there's a temptation today to believe in promises that, that God never gave, and he never said we won't face hardship. He never said we won't go through trial. He never said we we'll won't go through the flame. He never promised that life was going to be easy. And when we start thinking in that way, believing in promises that God never give, gave, we get in trouble and we live dangerously. We start losing hope. We start losing faith because we're losing, we're losing faith in, a God that, in promises that God never gave anyways. It's us misunderstanding who God is. But the next time, the next time you do face hardship and trials and temptation, when life isn't going well, when we, we need to remember and believe and have faith that he did promise that he will be with you through it all. That he will go before you and behind you and beside you and all, all around you. He did promise he'll be there no matter what. He did promise to give you your identity and everything your soul needs. He promised to give you what this world can't offer. He promised to give you a peace in your heart and salvation for your soul. That's what we cling on to. That's the hope and the promise that we cling on to. So how do we walk in this faith? How do we hear God well? What does it mean to take these whole steps wholeheartedly forward? And I believe today that scripture and prayer has to be the way. In a time when we can't see with our physical eyes, we need to see with our spiritual. That in this time, we need to pray and we need to read scripture because ultimately this is true a life of faith is a life that prays and we need to pray we need to seek god because the moment we stop praying is the moment we stop believing when we stop praying we either think it's not worth praying for when we stop praying we think that it's not worth asking for or on the other hand we believe that we can all we can do it all under our own strength that we don't need to pray about it, that we don't need to depend on this, this God. And I love this quote uh, that I saw on uh, Louis Giglio's uh, uh, Instagram uh, this week. And he's quoting Leonard Ravenhill uh, on this uh, topic of, of prayer. No man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are straying. We have many organizers, but few agonizers. Many players and payers, few prayers. Many singers, few clingers. Lots of pastors, few wrestlers. Many fears, few tears. Much fashion, little passion. Many interferers, uh, few intercessors. Many writers, but few fighters. Failing here, we fail everywhere. This is the English Christian evangelist, Leonard Ravenhill. The call for us today is to live by faith. And when we live by faith, prayer ought to come with that as well. And we see this in this conversation that Abraham has with God. 
Would you love that, to be walking and talking with God as if he's physically there around you? That we see here in this passage, in, in Genesis 15, that Abraham, that God took him outside and led him outside and said, hey, look at the stars here. And I think the call for us is true today as well, that we also have the same God that we follow, that we have the same faith uh, of Abraham. And we read this in, uh, in verse 16, that therefore the promise, what, comes by faith. It's this belief again in God so that it may be by grace. It may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, which includes you, by the way, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. That we must walk forward in faith. We must walk forward as if we already possess the promise that God has given us because it changes every day. It changes the moment from awake from the, to the moment that we sleep. So the passage ends with this great proclamation here. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was what strengthened in his faith and his belief and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. So I'm coming to the end here this morning. We have to understand that Abraham, Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran, and he traveled to Shechem. That was in Genesis 12. And then in Genesis 17, the covenant of circumcision, Abram was 99 years old before he was renamed uh, to Abraham, before this co new covenant was made with him. And this is some 24 years later after the promise was made. Between Genesis 15 and Genesis 17, there was 24 years from when the promise was made to when the promise, uh, when he started seeing the promise being fulfilled. Because later on in Genesis 21, 5, Abraham was 100 years old. In fact, it wasn't just 24 years later that the covenant was made. It was 25 years where his son was born. So 25 years, which is older than some of you here, that God fulfilled the promise that he made to him. And that's got to astound us for those of us that are waiting for those of us that are waiting on the promises, are holding on to the tickets that God has promised us, that God has given us, the promises of hope and joy and, and, and goodness that God has awaited for us. But I ask the question, why 25 years? Why not right away? Why not the very next day from that moment onwards? And we see this, that when we live in faith and we have this belief in God, we see this as well, that resurrection power is realized when you realize you're dead. And we see here in this passage that Abraham realized that the situation was dead. His own body was dead. Sarah's womb was dead. The situation was dead. It was gone and out. And perhaps God waited until all the strength was out of Abraham and Sarah before he gave them a child just to prove that it's not by their own strength. It's not by their own works that they can accomplish great things. Perhaps God is waiting for you to realize this how dead you are in whatever situation it is for you before he releases his saving power for you before you realize the faith and the power and the goodness of god and this is the same promise for us today 
So for you, even if the situation seems dead, we know that God has the resurrection power, that he's proven that through the person of Jesus, that he has his resurrection power, this power over the grave, power over the deadness of whatever situation you're going through, that God has this power. But do you hear the promise? The question for you and for us, all of us this morning, is what promises of God are you hearing? You might not receive it right away. You might not, it might not be actualized right away. But what are you hearing? What promise has God given you? What seems dead to you right now? Are you living as one who is holding on to the promise or are you holding on to something else in life? Believing that that's going to save you, that's going to give you life, that has power to save instead of holding on to the promise in the person of Jesus. How can you see with eyes of faith instead with your physical eyes here today? And I think for some of us, and I believe this with all my heart, that some of us here and watching online, we need a shift in the way that we see the world, in the way that you see your career, in the way what God is talking about in your career, in the way what he's saying about your family, with your relationships, with your marriage, with your school, with that impossible situation that he's giving you eyes of faith right now to see that situation just a little bit differently. That he's going to give you that promise in your hands today, and you're going to hold on to that when you leave today. And you're going to see that situation just that little bit differently. You're going to live as one who already possesses the promise. Eric Wehenmeyer is an American athlete. He's a venture author and activist. And in 2002, in September, he completed the Seven Summits. The first time I've heard of something like that, the Seven Summits, it's climbing the seven highest mountains in all seven continents. And at that time in the, in the world, uh, at that time, uh, there were 150 people in the whole history that has done something like that. To this day, there are 416 people who have done it. You're like, wow, that's pretty impressive, right? Like, you know, climbing all seven peaks, uh, Mount Everest included, and in all the seven uh, continents, that's pretty impressive. But what if I told you it gets even more impressive because he's blind? Eric Weyermeyer is the first blind person to climb Everest and also the seven summits. He was born with juvenile retinoschisis, which is a blindness expected to come by age 13. And as he was going blind, he found himself against using that cane. He was fighting the urge, and he was trying to learn to live without sight. He also scaled the nose of El Capitan. Uh, as he was climbing, uh, what he couldn't discover with his eyes, he said he had to discover with his hands and with his feet. What we normally see with our eyes, he said, he had to learn to see with his hands. Apparently, the blind can lead the blind because in 2004, he led a group of eight other blind people to climb Everest. He also solo kayaked the entire 445 kilometers of the Grand Canyon, what's considered to be the most formidable uh, waters of, of the world, uh, with a guide before him just yelling, left, right, hard left, hard right. And he said the river was a great place and he loved it because you can't really do too much, but just let the waters take you away. He also has gone on to do 50 solo skydiving missions. Vision is not what's on the outside, as he says, but it's on what you see on the inside. And that's got to blow, blow, blow our minds and encourage us as we are encouraged today to live by faith, not by our own physical sight, 
And the question is, right now, as God is speaking to you, what is he implanting in your heart on the inside of what you are to see in your life? Because Abraham was justified by faith. He would hold on to a promise that he didn't yet receive. And we see here that it is possible to live without your physical eyes, in this example. How much more can we see clearly with our spiritual ones in the way that God has given us? What do you need to see differently today? given the eyes that God has given you spiritually. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I thank you for your love and your grace that you reached out to us and you loved us before we even knew you. Father, this morning, I pray, God, that we would come to know you and we will see with our own spiritual eyes that now we will swap out our physical and what we can see with the mere physical world and you give us this new spiritual eyes, God, to see a situation differently. That situation with our lives, the impossible one, perhaps with our career, with our schooling, with our relationships, our marriage, and the way that we see our purpose. Father, may we have the faith of Abraham as well. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for not leaving us on the, on the, on the wayside. You didn't have to rescue us. You didn't need to send Jesus, but you did because you showed us how much you love us. So for those of us that believe, and for those of us to hold on, God, you tell us we can journey to the highest mountaintops. We can go through the darkest valleys. We can go through the roughest waters. It's because you are with us and because you are for us. I pray all of this in Jesus' name.